The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. guys welcome back to another episode of the true crime society podcast with stephanie and olivia is that what i normally say yeah i don't know why in the middle of saying that i was like <laughs> something is wrong <laughs> no i think that's exactly what you usually say hmm <laughs> COVID right. brain. Uh, now we're gonna get the warning again <laughs> oh, yeah. no but i was like thinking the same thing because you get some people get really bad brain fog for like a yeah. long time i've heard that Hopefully I'm not one of those people. Like, please. Um, all right. So back on track. It is Thursday, October 20th right now, just so we can keep – And not that I think there'll be any updates with this case, really. <laughs> yeah, surely not. But just for reference, it is October 20th, 6 p.m. here in New York. It is fall officially. Well, not officially, I don't think, but – Pretty wait, much. Is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Look how dumb I'm being. <laughs> it is fall, but I meant in terms of the leaves because like on our local news here, when I guess people travel here and around here to come see the leaves that like live in the city and stuff because they don't really have any leaves, but it'll have like a forecast of the leaves in New York and it'll be like this this area is in peak leaf peeping season and like right now i was in peak last weekend but now we're like past peak because all of our leaves are dying already (laughs) (laughs) you've missed missed that climax (laughs) it happened so quickly it was literally like everything was still just kind of green and then last weekend everything was so colorful and pretty and now everything's just dying already hopefully not a metaphor for the rest of the year (laughs) do you get like a fall there yeah yeah we do like we like where I live now especially like we used to live near the beach so we didn't get it as much but now where I live it's a little bit more rural so even on our street we have some beautiful massive old trees I've got a massive tree in my backyard that does lose its leaves and go bare in autumn and winter so yeah we do not I don't think to the extent that you guys have it but yeah we definitely do hmm Interesting. Good to mm. know for when I make yeah. the trip there one day. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty similar, so don't you know? Don't make a trip, especially for that. <laughs> I'm just coming for the fall. <laughs> um, so you are back from your trip. How was that? Yeah, it was nice. We had um, like the weather was all right. Thankfully, it didn't rain the whole time. It was you know pretty grey and overcast, but it was warm. And of course, the weather on the day that we left was absolutely amazing. Like not a cloud in the sky. I think I sent you a photo. It was beautiful, mm-hmm. but no, it was nice. It was a very busy week. We went to had only, like we had seven days, so we did two days of theme parks with all the kids, um, lots of swimming. Yeah, it was nice. It was just a nice little getaway, but it was very, very nice to come home actually, which is good. Sometimes it's Were not you- like I just wish I had a bit longer, but no, that was a good good amount of time. Weren't you saying how that was the theme park where like the rides <sighs> broke and people died? <laughs> yeah, a few years ago, like. So in Queensland where we went, that's kind of the theme park capital of Australia. Like I guess you'd liken it to Florida or something like that. But um, they have, I think, four big theme parks up there. And the one that we always go to and my kids love the most is Dreamworld. And a few years ago there was a really horrific accident on the River Rapids ride. Like I know that there's many similar rides to that. Like we went on the same ride at Disneyland when we were there earlier this year. But it's like the ride where you go in the big rubber tube. Yeah, you know, like you the go rapids. It's like a very basic ride. Like kids can go on it. It's nothing. It's not like a roller coaster or anything like that. But yeah, the rapids. So um, a few years ago, something malfunctioned and some people, I think, actually got crushed in the ride. Like oh, it was just it, like horrific. The f- I think it was like the float like flipped, didn't it? Or yeah, like one? I think I think no, that's the same one. So I think it kind of got stuck like on a ramp. Like I'm not entirely sure. I don't want to give the wrong information, but like it was going up on like a conveyor belt or something and it flipped and flipped on top of the people and basically they got And like trapped them underwater too, which is like so scary. So they had obviously a big investigation, um, a big – like that whole entire area of the park is now gone. It used to – like it was like a Wild West themed type thing. Mm. Um, So they've got rid of that whole entire thing. Now they've put a massive roller coaster there called Steel Taipan. But, um, yeah, very, very horrific. But, yeah. 
So anyway, we had a thankfully I was we, we were going on one of the roller coasters and I heard this woman say to the employee, "Are you sure this is one hundred percent safe?" And the lady's <laughs> like, "Yes, absolutely." So anyway, yeah, I guess. That's how I could tell, like, one reason I'm getting older, too. I used to love going on rides and roller coasters and stuff, and now I get so nervous. Like, Mm. I feel you don't hear – there's at least, like, one a year where you hear, like, about a ride malfunctioning, but it's not something that happens really that frequently by comparison to, like, every day how many people go on rides. But I'm just like, what if this is it? Like, what if today's the day? And, like, even on we went on this roller coaster, and it was a crazy roller coaster. You know how most of them you have – like a harness that goes over your shoulders and your chest. Yeah. This one didn't. It had a harness that kind of – just like a lap went, bar? Well, yeah. So it, went, it still went over you but it didn't have anything on your shoulders. So basically when you went upside down, your your whole upper body was just hanging out. <laughs> and so part of like I guess the fun of the ride is that when you go upside down, it actually goes quite slow. So you're like, oh, my God, I'm really going to fall out. This is it. This is it. I'm, you know, it's, it's happening now. But obviously it didn't. So – yeah, I agree. Like I never used to care. I'd go on rides all the time and now I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, this one looks a bit dodgy. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't go on this one. I remember like Six Flags here. They have like this, I think it's the Superman one. I haven't been forever. But the big pull for it was that you you get in it and then it makes it so that you're kind of like laying down like you're flying like Superman. So you feel like you're flying when you're oh, doing yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. But, like, when you go over this, like, one loop, I remember it literally made my vision, like, black out because of just, like, the position you're in and the G-force, I guess. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's crazy. Even the second day, because they've got a water park attached to this theme park. So the second day we were going to go to the water park and we went back and the kids like, we're going to go on a few more rides. So we went in and this one we'd been on the day before, they had like 10 people working on it. I'm like, okay, no, we're not going on this one. <laughs> Let's just forget about this one. <laughs> I like, like water slides. Well, when I was little, I liked water slides. Now I don't know if I would do them, but I could never go in the water slides that were totally closed like the tube ones that yeah, um, you know what I mean like the tunnel yeah, ones enclosed ones that's what yeah, Luella, yeah. Luella, Luella, I thought Luella would be all over it my daughter but she's like no I'm not going in those ones but yeah I get it yeah that it's was very creepy I first realized I was like claustrophobic because I'm like I'm not going in there what if you get stuck how do you get out yeah. you're gonna like just drown and it's gonna fill with water <laughs> <laughs> I've always been an anxious person <laughs> <laughs> so what's been happening with you um nothing Really, I'm finally better for the most part. I still have a gross cough, but feeling better. I went out last weekend. I went to a bar. I had like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not, I wasn't fully recovered, but I literally had four drinks, which isn't really that many. And I, I didn't eat a lot, but I got like drunk pretty quickly. Not like embarrassing drunk or anything, but I was just like, I'm kind of buzzed for like having just like four, four, four beers. And then the next day, I was, like, pretty hungover, too. And I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> you're a lightweight now that you that you have had I'm COVID. old. Yeah. I can't go on rides anymore, and I can't drink anymore. <laughs> Four beer ma- maximum. <laughs> and then I did laundry the whole day the next day, which was, like, the worst. So that was my unfulfilling weekend. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're feeling better. That's good. Yeah, thanks. All right, should we get into our our podcast recommendation yes definitely all right so today we are gonna oh wait we didn't even talk about halloween this is our halloween (laughs) episode um it's it's gonna come out right before halloween we love halloween time we did one i don't think we did we do halloween last year we missed it because we're not good at planning ahead i think we missed it we talked about doing it but we never quite got there yeah, and then one year we did the the haunted Strange murder houses. houses. Yeah, yeah, which was a good one. Um, maybe I'll post that link too for anyone who's interested. But yeah, what are your kids being for Halloween? Are they dressing up? I don't know. They keep. Yeah, they are. It's not a not as big of a thing here. Like, there's a few streets that do trick or treating, so we'll take them down to one of those. But um, I don't know. Yeah, they keep changing their mind. I think at one point they were going to be Teletubbies, and then they were good. <laughs> and then they were going to be Alvin and the Chipmunks. But I haven't actually now. Luella, I'm pretty sure, is saying she wants to be something from Stranger Things because she loves Stranger mm. Things. So good I idea. don't know. Short answer, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get an update afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to think of something spooky, like maybe a little different from the norm for this episode. And since The Watcher came out on Netflix, we got an idea to do um, the true story behind 
the show because it is about a true story, even though I haven't watched the show, but you said you started watching it and it takes a lot of artistic license. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I don't even know how many episodes there are. I think I'm up to episode three. <clears throat> They're about an hour ish long, so it's, it's not entirely binge worthy in one night. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's interesting. I knew the basic premise of the show, but when I started researching and doing the notes, essentially the show starts with this story and then just goes off on its own tangent. So what happens in the show is absolutely not what happened in real life, but it's still very creepy and spooky and unsolved. Yeah. So the true story is about a family who bought a house in New Jersey and they started getting these like really creepy letters from someone who seemed to be stalking them and they could never figure out who it was. Um, So that's kind of like the premise of the Netflix show. The bio from the Netflix show says, ominous letters, strange neighbors, sinister threats, a family moves into their suburban dream home only to discover they've inherited a nightmare. (laughs) It's about the Brannocks who, after moving into their dream home in Westfield, New Jersey, are harassed by letters signed by a stalker named The Watcher. So I'll put a little like clip of the trailer for the Netflix show or something here just so you guys can hear about it a little. Peep, be quiet. (laughs) Please. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard. Allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. Do you know the history of the house? I've been put in charge of watching you. This message will not be the last. I am the Watcher. Your house is my obsession. And now you are too. Who am I? might not frighten you yet, but it will. Give the house what it wants. Young blood. Can you keep us safe? So the Brannocks, they're the fake Netflix family. The real family is about the Broadus family. So a little similar name. Um, It is about Maria and Derek and their children. That's the real family. So the couple, they purchased this house. It's at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. They bought it in June 2014. They paid $1,355,657 for the house. Um, There are some pictures up on Zillow. Well, it's really just like one picture, but. Yeah, it looks like a very idyllic house. It's very neat, very tidy, very cute. Um, It looks like a a rich cottage. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a lovely house. You wouldn't look at it and say, oh, but no, it's a beautiful house. looks like a lovely kind of street. And it's funny that we were talking about the fall leaves because one of the photos has all the fall leaves and all that. So Mm -hmm. it looks very, yeah, picturesque. Yeah, so six bedrooms, four bathrooms, 3,869 square feet. I feel like the um, if you've watched the Netflix show, the house in the Netflix show is much grander and much obviously they've you know done that for a reason but yeah the the real house is still lovely yeah i'll have to watch it. i keep telling mike i want to watch it but haven't gone mm-hmm. around to it yet so maria she is the main female in the story of the wife whatever <laughs> she <laughs> had grown up in westfield and the new home was very close to her childhood home derek he grew up in maine that is the husband And he eventually moved to New York City where he worked his way up the corporate ladder and he became a senior vice president at an insurance company. So Westfield, it seems like a nice place to raise a family. There are 30,000 residents and it's an affluent area. Bloomberg ranked Westfield the 99th richest city in America, but only the 18th wealthiest in New Jersey. 
And in 2014, when The Watcher struck the website, Neighborhood Scout named it the country's 30th safest town. The most pressing local issues lately, um, according to residents, have been the temporary closure of Trader Joe's after a roof, <laughs> after a roof collapse <laughs> and the rampant scourge of unconstitutional policing, by which they mean aggressive parking enforcement. So seems like a lot of first world problems. <laughs> So the real estate market in Westfield was very competitive at the time the Broadduses purchased their home. An article by The Cut, they interviewed a resident who said, there's a lot of money and a lot of ego. I've seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. So very affluent area, like we were saying. The Broaddus family were doing some renovations to the house before they moved in. Three days after they closed on the property, Derek was there painting. After he finished, he went to check the mailbox. The Cut did a really comprehensive article on this case. It said that a lot of the info from the Netflix show is actually taken from that article. So this is directly from that as well. It says, There wasn't much in the mail except a few bills in a white card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in thick, clunky handwriting to the new owner. And the type note inside began warmly. It says, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of this house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The letter also identifies the Broaddus's Honda minivan as well as the workers who were renovating at home. It goes on to say, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. So creepy. Oh, no. Um, it also says, do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Uh, just as a side note, it's been said that he refers to the children as young blood, which is creepy. Yeah. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it agreed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. So the letter concluded by saying, welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And he signed his name, The Watcher. So not exactly what you want to get when you make the big purchase of your dream home. I can't even imagine just not even having moved into the house yet and getting a letter like that, especially one that references your children. Like, you know, That's fair the enough, part where it's like, ugh. can just be generally creepy anyway, but uh, yeah, it's creepy. I was talking to someone about it this weekend. I don't know if it was like my family or who, but they were like, I don't think that I would really let the letters bother me. Like, it just seems dumb. And I was like, I don't know, like it does. But then when they start talking about your kids like that, like that's what would make me nervous. Yeah. Like a dumb letter, like, you know, creepy. You'd be like, oh, that shit. Yeah, I agree. Once the kids cross the line. And how he says, like, I will call to them. <laughs> and so we've tried to find the letters in full. I haven't, we haven't found them anywhere, just like full copies of the letters. So every article and everything just kind of has these excerpts. So we've just kind of pieced together what we could. I don't know what, I feel like the letters should be out. Yeah. Like, so even that letter that you just read out, that's pieced together. So it may be a little bit out of order. I don't think it really matters because it's all in the one letter. But yeah, I mean, I would, I'd love to read all the letters, but I haven't been able to find them. If anyone has, send us a message. But I have seen excerpts with the handwriting and, and the typed, you know, the address and the handwriting and all that. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm not even entirely sure exactly how many letters there ended up being, but no. um, it's, yeah, I guess they probably kept some of it private, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. For all the media that this case got, you would think that they they would have just released the letters, but maybe mm. I guess it was still being investigated. Maybe they kept some stuff. I don't know. Maybe they will now that this show's out. Maybe they could make some money back that they lost, write a book or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
So the Broadduses had purchased the home from a couple named Andrea and John Woods. And after Derek received the first letter, they emailed the Woods to ask if they had ever had any contact from the watcher. And Andrea replied and she said that a few days before they moved out, they did receive a letter. They said that the note had been odd and made similar mentions of the watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years of living there and that they actually just threw the letter away and didn't really think much of it. So the Broadduses continued on with the renovations while they lived elsewhere. One morning, a contractor arrived at the property to find that a sign he had hammered into the ground had been removed. Maria was the one to find the second letter two weeks after they got the first one. It was addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis, like they spelled their names wrong. I guess the kind of point of that is that the watcher obviously had found out their names in the two weeks since they yeah, moved, maybe since like they heard bought the house. it, but didn't know yeah. how to spell it. Yeah, yeah. So this one says, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Had they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. So then the letter goes on to talk about the children by name. It kind of took that part out. Like it doesn't have their names in the excerpts because I think probably at the time they're protecting the children's privacy since they're minors. But it says, I'm pleased to know your names now in the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. Um, And then the letter goes on to talk about one child in particular who the watcher had seen using an easel outside on an enclosed porch and it said, is she the artist in the family? So that's creepy. Yeah. Um, The letter went on to say, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I'm the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. So, yeah, another scary letter. That one's uh, that one is more um, aggressive and definitely more scary. Like, Especially talking about the kids by name. I yeah. would like to, I'd like to know what that part says. And talks about the plans, like who's going to be in which bedroom so I can In the plan, basement. Like, uh, yeah. Would not like that. Um, so Maria and Derek stopped taking their children to the house after that. They became unsure as to if they wanted to move into the property at all. Uh, and a few weeks later, they got another letter because I guess they hadn't been there as much. So this letter just said, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. So Maria and Derek began to look into who the watcher could be. The house they purchased had a lot of interest and they beat other prospective buyers by offering above the asking price. They thought that the watcher might be someone who was mad about losing out on the property. The Woods, the previous owners, told them about the two other parties that had put in offers. One had pulled out for medical reasons and the second had already purchased another property. Seems like maybe not, especially the medical reasons one. Yeah, unless and they other just person, like super jealous. Yeah, like, like I guess it still could have been those two people or two parties, but it seems unlikely. Yeah. So Andrea Woods, she suggested that the watcher was someone who lived nearby, as they had mentioned seeing contractor trucks at the property. I feel like it's definitely someone who lives in the neighborhood. Asked me if they saw the kid painting on an easel and heard their names and stuff. And if they're saying they're actually watching the property all the time, like if there's no way it would be someone who, do you know what I mean? Like I know that obviously we have no proof of how long they watched the property for, but if they were there regularly, it surely has to be someone in the area. Yeah, and... I know, I feel like you'd be pretty close to overhearing names and stuff like that. Yeah. 
So they they also looked into the postmarked dates of the letters. The first was postmarked June 4th, which was before the sale details were made public. So are these going through the actual mail or just being dropped in their mailbox? I think they must be going through the actual mail because the postmark dates, like it's been yeah. stamped and yeah. So I'm I'm 99% sure they were um, – well, I don't know actually. I don't know if every letter was stamped and sent, but – that the at least at least the first one was yeah because that f- when i first heard about the stories like why didn't they just put like a security camera on the mailbox yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess that would make sense definitely if and this was only a few years ago like this wasn't 50 years ago or anything this happened in the mid 2000s yeah so it makes sense that the person sent them via the postal service so they weren't seen yeah it would have to be otherwise they'd get caught mm-hmm Derek and Maria showed police the easel that was mentioned in the letter. It was on a porch that was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. So again, that goes kind of with what we were saying. Like it has to be someone kind of close by to be able to see the kid painting on an easel. Yeah, definitely. Police told Maria and Derek not to tell anyone about the letters. The couple went to a neighborhood barbecue and used the opportunity to try to find out about any locals who could potentially be the watcher. Derek was speaking to John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, and John told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children on their 60s lived with her. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway, as kind of a Boo Radley character, for those who don't know who Boo Radley is from To Kill a Mockingbird, and just online it says he is a mysterious, reclusive man and the frequent subject of children's ghastly urban legends. And for anyone who's watched the Netflix show, I feel like it might be insinuated that Jasper in the Netflix show is this character. Um, there's an unusual, like Jasper in the show is unusual, and he in the show the house has a dumb waiter, which for anyone who doesn't know is like an elevator that goes between yeah. floors. It's like a very old feature of a house it's not you mm-hmm. I don't think anyone has one these days but anyway in in the show Jasper likes to play in the dumbwaiter even though he's in his 60s um so I feel like that is the kind of correlation between the Langford Michael Langford and Jasper in the show mm, Jasper is like a spooky name <laughs> I don't know why I think that I feel like there must be a character another character named Jasper in something but I can't think maybe, of what maybe you're thinking of Casper <laughs> No. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up later. There's definitely a Jasper in something. It is a very, um, I don't know, like poetic name. Like it's a very dramatic name. It just makes me think of like spooky colonists or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it is a very old name. Like, yeah, yeah. And in, in the show too, Jasper, and I think it's his mother, they're part of like the historical society who want to preserve the house that was bought and things like that. So anyway, yeah. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but that's that's kind of along those lines. So Derek thought the case was solved after hearing that because, you know, sounds like he was a kind of creepy weird guy getting these creepy letters. Derek thought that was case closed. Um, the Langford house is right next to where the porch with the easel is, so they could have easily seen that. The family lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father had begun observing it, and according to the letters. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades, so all making sense. Yeah. So Derek took that information to Detective Lugo, who was handling the case. He already knew about um, the Langfords, though, and he had interviewed Michael after the first letter had arrived. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, and police said there was no evidence to charge him with anything. So Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. He sometimes spooked newcomers in the neighborhood when he did strange things like walk through their backyard or peek into the windows of their homes that were being renovated. But those who knew him said that the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighborly kindness. I don't know what's so kind about looking looking in my windows, but I know. And even in the show too, with the parallel to Jasper, like the mother says, the neighbors always let Jasper do this. Like it was just like it was kind of accepted that he was going to be around and in their homes, which mm. isn't very settling. 
but seems like at least the people who lived around there deemed him as homeless. I mean, homeless, harmless, <laughs> as harmless. harmless for the most part. Um, John Schmidt, that neighbor, he said he goes out and gets the newspapers for me every morning. Um, people who had known Michael for decades told reporters that they didn't believe he'd be capable of writing the letters. And the letters are very, like, you have to be somewhat intelligent to write letters like that because they're just worded so strangely. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, I'm not saying that Michael's not intelligent, but it seems like the letters are coming from someone who's fairly literate and coherent. Yeah. And I'm not saying Michael's not. I don't want people to be like, oh, just because he's schizophrenic doesn't mean that he can't. But you know what I mean? Like the letters are worded. It's almost like old timey sounding, like the way they're written. Yeah. So Dare compiled a map of the area and began to find out about the residents. The Langford family were the only ones who had been there since the 60s. He also tried to work out how close by someone would have to live to hear them speaking the kids' names that were referenced in the letter. So the police and the Broadduses came up with a plan to send a letter to the Langfords informing them of their plans to tear down the house. So it seems like this was meant to be bait to see if maybe the watcher would write something about it. But nothing happened. So the Broadduses hired a PI who found that there were two sex offenders living nearby, but nothing seemed to have ever really come from that either. I feel like this case was a lot of just like, eh, we found some, but we're not going to like look into it that much. Yeah, I know. And there's so many, there are really so many kind of potential people it could have been, so. Okay. Yeah. So Bill Woodward, he was the Broadus's house painter. He had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard, they kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Broadus's property. And he said, one day I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadus's house. I feel like in the show too, I don't know their names, but you would know if you've watched it. It's the neighbors who try and get the arugula from their house. They have an argument because they cross the fence and get this arugula that apparently jumped over the fence. Like they planted it 20 years ago. Now it's on the Brannock or the Broadus's side. So they have an argument for their very first meeting about it, which kind of puts them in the you know possibility of being suspects in the case in the show. So I feel like that's yeah. who that refers to. Yeah. So by the end of 2014, which was six months after the home was purchased by the Broadus family, the investigation had gone nowhere. Some articles have said that there were no fingerprints or DNA on the envelopes and letters, but I think at least the DNA part ends up being not true, maybe, because then they are saying that eventually saying that there was female DNA found on them and they do test some females DNA. So just as just to point out the discrepancy before anyone like tells me we're wrong or whatever. I think I think there was I believe it's more likely that there definitely was female DNA found. They just didn't have any male DNA that they could test because it goes yeah like you said it does go into detail about this testing female DNA. So I I'm sure that has to be correct. Yeah. So Scott Krauss, who helped investigate the case for the Union County Prosecutor's Office, he said it was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So in December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. So the Broaddus family had still not moved into the property. They sold their previous home and had moved in with Maria's parents. Alarms would occasionally go off in the middle of the night at the property, and Derek would have to search the house with a knife. Bill Wordward, the painter, he said they were so joyous about their new home that within days they were petrified. I'm a stranger and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. Maybe it's Bill Woodward. <laughs> Could be. The Watcher kept sending letters to the Broadus family and they became more unhinged and more aggressive. One of the letters said, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and leave it alone. So I think by this point, the Broadduses were at breaking point almost. There's an, uh, some info from the Cut article that um, 
talks about kind of their experience. It says they only told a handful of friends about the letters, which meant that others asked why they weren't moving in and they just told them it was legal issues. So that kind of led to some speculation that they might be getting divorced and were going to sell the house and split up. They fought constantly and started taking medication to fall asleep. Derek said, I was a depressed wreck. Maria started to see a therapist and when the therapist asked, how are you? She burst into tears. The therapist said she was suffering post-traumatic stress that wouldn't go away until they got rid of the house. So they did decide to sell the house. They put it on the market for more than they had paid, which was very ambitious, um, to reflect the renovations that they had done. One broker emailed to say that her client loved it, but that there were so many unsubstantiated rumors flying around, ranging from sexual predator to a stalker, that they needed to know more. The Broadduses did make a partial disclosure, mentioning the letters to interested buyers, and they told their realtor, Coldwell Banker, that they intended to show the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. A Coldwell agent who hadn't read the letters told them that they basically didn't need to do this and that they were being unnecessarily forthcoming. So the agent said, my friend got horrible threatening letters about her dog barking and she didn't think to disclose it, but the Broadduses wanted to do the right thing. And uh, Derek said, I don't know how you lived through what we did and you could think you could do that to somebody else. But anyway, in the end, all the offers they got were under asking price. So they never ended up showing the full letters to anyone and they didn't accept any of the offers. On June 2, 2015, the Broadduses filed a legal complaint against Andrea and John Woods, who was the couple that they had purchased the home from. They basically argued that they should have been told about the letter that the Woods received, which was just a few days, I believe, before the house was sold. And they said they should have been told about the letter just as they were told about water damage in the basement. The Broadduses wanted to reach a quiet settlement with the Woods. Their children apparently still did not know about the Watcher at that point, which is a very different um version from the show in the show that one of the children actually opens the first the first letter and reads it out mm. so after this suit was filed they couldn't keep it quiet for long a lo- local reporter found the complaint which included some snippets of the letters the Broadduses did try to seal it but it was too late news trucks camped out at 657 boulevard and one lawn reporter set up his own lawn chair to try and catch <laughs> the watcher the Broadduses got more than 300 media requests They fled Westfield and had to stay at a friend's beach house and obviously they had to tell their children about the situation then. So after the media attention, the case went viral. Members of the public started offering suggestions and opinions about the case. Someone suggested that the Broadduses investigate more about the claims about what there was in the wall, um, but they had already carried out a home inspection and the inspector said that the only kind of unusual thing was that there was a lack of insulation in the home. But how would they know? That's why I don't get, like if there was like, bloody clothes on the wall how would they be able to tell yeah i don't know I, I don't know the kind of structure of the home yeah i don't know either so baron shambless was a detective who worked on the case and, and years later he spoke about the investigation he said that they'd also looked into abby langford who was michael's sister and that she had worked as a real estate agent they kind of investigated the theory that maybe she was upset about missing the commission She also worked at the local Lord and Taylor and they coordinated with a security guard there to get her plastic water bottle, but they matched when they tested her water bottle against this apparent female DNA on the letters, it wasn't a match. The police though did end up apparently ruling out the Langford family, which is surprising to me. They wouldn't Mm. give Maria or Derek any information about how they were ruled out. They just said that they weren't suspects in the case anymore. Sandy Langford said, my family moved to the boulevard in 1961 and we never caused a problem for anybody. This guy gets all these letters and all of a sudden people are pointing fingers. I would love to know more about how they rule. If they don't know who the person is, how can they rule out anyone essentially? And they are kind of suspicious. Like Michael's a little suspicious. The sister, like the realtor theory is a little suspicious. And I feel like they would be in the proximity that we mentioned. Like there are really only a handful of people it probably is likely to be. And I feel like the Langfords are definitely up there. On the list. Yeah. So the Broadduses kept their own investigation going. They walked around the neighborhood with the watcher's handwritten envelope to see if anyone recognized the handwriting, maybe from like a Christmas card or something like that. But nobody did. They did discover that another family on the boulevard got a letter from the watcher at the same time that the Broadduses got their first letter. The parents. I know what that one said. Yeah, I would love to know too. I haven't found it anywhere. And the family did say they just threw it away because basically they'd lived in the house for years, their kids had grown, and they just thought it was some creepy junk mail or whatever. So they just threw it away. 
There was an interesting lead that seems to kind of end up fizzling out. Like we mentioned, there was a lot of things that seemed like they could go places, but nothing really did. Everything fizzles out. (laughs) This info is directly from the Cut article about it. It said, one night, Shambliss, who was the detective who we mentioned before, and a partner were sitting in the back of a van parked on the boulevard, watching the house through a pair of binoculars. At around 11pm, a car stopped in front of the house long enough for them to grow suspicious. He says he traced the car to a young woman in a nearby town whose boyfriend lived on the same block as 657. The woman told police that her boyfriend was into some really dark video games, including one where he played a specific character called The Watcher. As for the female DNA that was found on the envelopes, the detectives figured the girlfriend or someone else could have helped. The boyfriend was apparently living somewhere else at the time, though, but he agreed to come in and speak with police on two separate occasions and he didn't show up either time. Shambliss said that he didn't have enough evidence to compel him to appear and with the media attention dying down, he dropped the case and moved on. (laughs) So (laughs) good work there. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) One interesting theory is that the Broadduses sent the letters to themselves. Maybe they realised they couldn't afford the property after they'd bought it, they had some buyer's remorse, or maybe they were concocting an insurance fraud scheme. I know in their show they kind of make a big deal about them having to dig really deep to afford the property, like they talk about putting down a massive down payment and you know using all their savings and things like that. So that I think kind of goes along with that theory. There were some comments online, especially after this went viral, that the Broadduses had upgraded from their first house was originally $315,000. Their second one was $770,000. And then this one was $1.3 million. Um, I don't know. That doesn't really seem too weird to me. Maybe they made money on the other houses. He obviously climbed the corporate ladder, so he was probably earning more money. I feel like that's a pretty natural progression. Maybe, you know, it could be weird, but I also don't think it necessarily is. And there's nothing known about them suffering some like big financial loss or him like losing his job or something like happening that would make them suddenly not be able to afford the house. And we'll get into it soon, but they also held on to the house for a long time. So they Mm -hmm. didn't, it wasn't foreclosed on or anything. They managed to afford the house for a long time. Yeah. They did test the female DNA that we spoke about apparently against Maria's DNA and it wasn't a match. So I feel like, yeah, there definitely must have been some type of DNA for this reporting to have happened. But couldn't the DNA also just be like the post office people? Yeah. You'd, That's why yeah. I'm also like, it's, did it go through the post office? Which I feel like, yes. But like this usually post office stuff, I guess they wear gloves probably, but I feel like it goes through a lot of people. Exactly. You, I'm actually surprised there's no male DNA on it because surely a male would have handed the handle it at some point. You'd think. You would think. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe there's just not enough. But locals didn't really seem too worried about there being any real danger from the watcher. Mark Lagrippo, who's the neighbourhood's representative on the Westfield Town Council, said that the primary concern he heard from residents were that they were, was that they were worried about their property value and the stigma on the neighbourhood. Westfield is also known for one other high-profile crime. On November 9, 1971, John List killed his wife, mother, and three children at their home in Westfield, and he disappeared. He planned the murders so well that he managed to evade, you know, any detection or, you know, the crime was unknown for over a month. He assumed a new identity remarried, and he wasn't apprehended for nearly 18 years. He was finally captured in Virginia on June 1, 1989, after he was featured on America's Most Wanted. He was extradited to New Jersey and convicted on five counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to five consecutive terms of life imprisonment, making him ineligible for parole for nearly 75 years. So I feel like they kind of tried to distance themselves from any, you know, crime after that, and then for this to happen again, they were really trying to bury it. So it wasn't. Yeah, it seems like a kind of uppity neighborhood where they... That's what they care about, like the gossip and the the pricing of the houses. So Derek wanted to pack up, cut their losses and leave Westfield for good, but Maria didn't. She said that she didn't want to uproot their children anymore. She told the cut, this person took so much from us. I wouldn't let them take any more. Two years after the letters first arrived, the Broadduses borrowed money from family members to buy a second home in Westfield and they used an LLC to keep the location private, you know, to keep their names out of it. So the watcher, I guess, couldn't find them again. The lawsuit that they'd filed against the Woods family dragged on. Some states require sellers to disclose transient social conditions like murders or possible hauntings. There was a 1991 case that involved an allegedly ghost-filled house and a New York 
court ruled that as a matter of law, the house is haunted. But New York, New Jersey has no such regulation. So essentially, it didn't really need to be disclosed in this case. <clears throat> so in the end, anyway, a judge ended up dismissing the lawsuit. Derek looked into rental options for the home and he even thought about making it into a halfway house. They ended up putting the house back up for sale in 2016. When the case had gone viral, there was all these people online saying, I wouldn't care. I would never leave that house. That wouldn't stop me moving in, you know, that, those kind of comments. And I think because there was a lot of those, Derek and Maria thought that maybe someone wouldn't care and would be just interested and would be happy to rent the house or even mm-hmm. to purchase the house. They also decided to look into subdividing the property. They had the idea to sell it to a developer who could split the property into two blocks and build two houses. Because of the block size, though, they would have had to be granted an exception by the Westfield Planning Board. The two smaller lots would have ended up being 67.4 and 67.6 feet wide, which is just shy of the required 70 feet. So when they had the hearing at the planning board, more than 100 residents showed up. The first order of, I guess, discussion on the planning board was about a Wells Fargo branch that wanted to use brighter light bulbs than the town allowed. So I guess this gives you an idea of the type of things that they're dealing with usually. On brand. <laughs> the Broadus's attorney said that the three-foot exemption that they were seeking was as narrow as the easel. <laughs> bringing the easel in again that he was using to display a map of the neighbourhood. The neighbours expressed concern that the plan might require knocking down trees and that the new homes would have aesthetically unpleasing front-facing garages. The attorney kind of threatened the residents with the halfway house as the possible alternative. Abby Langford was there. She stood up to say that she had spent almost 60 years looking at a magnificent, beautiful house and didn't want to be looking out of a driveway. So this went back and forth for four hours and eventually the board unanimously declined the proposal. So the Broadus's were still stuck. That's another red flag against the Langfords. It seems like Mm. they didn't want any changes to this house to be made, which gives them like a motive in my opinion. Like she's mad that she doesn't want to look out her window and see a driveway instead of the beautiful house. Especially for her to stand up and say that in public. Like I absolutely feel that's a red flag. Yeah. So maybe she heard that the woods are were selling the house and she like sent the first letter maybe it was like threatening them to not move we don't know what the woods's letter said and then um when the broadises moved in they started doing some construction like right away and maybe that pissed her off yeah if he was there painting within the first three days yeah that might have i'm assuming they got to work straight away so maybe the letter was sent you know the first day and yeah i agree definitely a motive <laughs> Anyway, following the, bro- uh, following the board hearing, the Broadduses finally got some good news. They did find a family who had agreed to rent the property. The renter told the Star Ledger he wasn't worried about the watcher, but he did include a clause in the lease that let him get out of it in case there was another letter. And there That's was nice. another letter a few weeks later. This letter said, violent winds and bitter cold. To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench <laughs> of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbours who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighbourhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. And then they included kind of a bit of a threat. It said, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash and bones break. If someone threatened my precious peep and fresh butt, (laughs) I'd be out of that house. (laughs) So... As kind of we're wrapping up with this case, the house did eventually sell. You can look at the um, kind of sold and selling history on Zillow. You can see that in March 2019, they listed it for sale at 999000 There was a pending sale, which also says 999000 in April, but in July of 2019, they sold it for 959000 So they made around a $400,000-ish loss on the property mm-hmm. um, and it hasn't, according to Zillow, sold or been rented or anything since then. So the watcher, they never figured out who the watcher was and I think 
the new family hasn't gotten any letters, right? Yeah, not as far as I know. Um, I haven't heard if maybe like maybe they haven't made it public, but as far as I know, they haven't had any letters. I did see an inside edition clip where they walked past the house. It looks lovely. They had it all decorated for Halloween. Um, looks like a happy family home from the outside. <laughs> I guess, you know, you couldn't really tell usually, but the people have been now living there for three years. Hmm. Seems like it's all right. I wonder if the new people who bought it in 2019, if they did any construction or not, because that's... Mm would show that that could have been the motive of the watcher, that they were mad about the construction. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. I'm assuming these people probably won't come forward, the new owners. They probably no. just want to keep their privacy and you know wait for everything to die down. It would be frustrating for them. Imagine all of a sudden this all happening. You have a show made about your house. I did see, though, there was like an article about, it was like in 2018 or 2019, that Netflix and other streaming services and stuff were bidding to buy the rights to the story and netflix won out and it was apparently like a six figure six or seven figure deal so like does that money go to the broadduses yeah and i know who else would it go to well i know that they said a lot of it is from the cut i don't i don't i don't actually know because essentially they it's not a documentary on the broadduses like they've used a different name a lot of the story is totally different Maybe it's just the person who actually wrote the screenplay gets the six figures. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. One of the theories was about how the Broadduses did themselves. Like you were saying, they had like buyer's remorse, couldn't afford the home. They wanted to get out of it. And that's why they ended up kind of like suing the woods, like kind of wanting their money back in a way. And other people were saying that maybe they wanted the attention in hopes of getting like a Netflix deal. That seems like planning pretty far in advance. And especially, especially when they tried to keep it from the media at first. And especially for them to take years and years to sell the house, then to sell it as a loss. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like the money probably isn't going to the Broadduses. Yeah. I, I was looking at Reddit and I saved some comments um, about just like ideas and theories. Someone said this was just like about kind of like a similar story. Um, someone said, I saw this Dr. Phil episode the other day. Some woman who was once voted mother of the year in her town engaged in a long and vicious campaign of terror against the people who outbid her and her husband on the house they wanted to buy. People do crazy things for all sorts of crazy reasons. I'd love to know the truth behind this case. So that was another thing we mentioned that maybe one of the other buyers or something were mad about not getting the house and just wanted to ruin it for them. Another comment said, the argument that the Broadus family isn't behind it, just because they lost money isn't necessarily concrete. The family wouldn't have known they were going to lose $400,000. Personally, I believe the family could have written the letters because they wanted to back out or reverse the sale. The watcher wrote one letter to the couple who sold the house to the new family. One, just one letter. That's all they needed to prove that the family sold the house without disclosing the full history of the house. They lived there for decades only to receive one letter, a letter that came just as the Broadus family came into their lives. They could have bought the house, then either had an unexpected financial burden or perhaps a missed promotion or maybe even just had buyer's remorse. They could have bought it and then maybe found another house they liked more and wanted to reverse the purchase or sue the prior owners to make a profit on the house. I agree that the Broadduses probably didn't intend for the letters to get them a movie or book deal, but I definitely think they wanted to screw over the previous owners. Just because it didn't work out in their favor doesn't mean they didn't do it. I feel like the only thing that kind of goes against that theory is that they didn't actually file the lawsuit to, I think, a year after they bought the house. This seems like a very long process for someone like a long who's trying, <laughs> trying to get out of the sale of a house. Like I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I just don't think that the Broadduses sent the letter. I feel like you have to be a real psychopath to like plan all of that. And if like there's photos of the Broadduses online, I'll pop them on the blog. You know, obviously you can't tell from looking at someone that they're a psychopath, but they did have little children. I just feel like this, I don't know, none of this worked out in their favor, essentially. They lost money. They got all this media attention. And they were living in other places. they didn't make anything from it. Yeah. They had no house. They had to live with Maria's mother. I just feel like... I don't know. Maybe, like maybe they didn't really benefit from it. I guess maybe they didn't think it out, and maybe if they did send the letters, it kind of backfired, and they didn't realize that all this would happen. It could be, but I just, I, I just don't feel like they send the letters to themselves. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it came out they did, I'd be like, okay, I could see how it makes sense. Yeah, but I just, I don't feel it in my heart. 
<laughs> I, I, I also think it's someone in the neighborhood. Um, it's the Langfords. <laughs> I I think surely, maybe, not surely, I shouldn't say surely because it's clearly not surely, but I think likely it's probably the Langfords. Yeah, in our personal opinion, don't sue us anyone. <laughs> um, like I know in the Netflix show they put up a whole bunch of, like they say it could be the realtor, the realtor wanted another commission or, you know, wanted a higher commission or whatever. That's an option. Like even in the show I know they throw up like the guy who installs the security cameras, maybe it was him. Um you know, like you said, could be the house painter, <laughs> who knows. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's someone who has a close connection to the house, who wants the house to stay as it is. Um, but I do. the one thing I do find interesting is in the last letter where he, they're quite vengeful and spiteful where they talk about vile Derek and his wench wife, Maria. That's very personal. Yeah, so which it leads could be in- someone who has like an actual like personal issue with the Broadduses for some reason. Yeah. But then again, like you were saying, like it has to be someone at least closest by or maybe, I don't know, because the easel part is what throws me off. If the girl really was painting on this easel on this enclosed porch that only like so many people could see because like maybe like an angry coworker or something like they might know the kids names and stuff already just from working together. But would they have known that she was, like, painting on this easel on this porch? Probably not. Maybe it's really John Schmidt, the neighbour, who told Derek about the Langfords to throw him off the trail. Oh, I don't know. I, I I know. I know. I Like, I always feel frustrated when you watch, which this is, it sounds really dumb, when you watch Unsolved Mysteries and then it is yes, unsolved. Yes, like it's so annoying. <laughs> but there really is no resolution in this case. I do feel like it could be a number of people. Wouldn't be surprising if it ends up being Abby or Michael or, you know, I guess probably not even 100% surprising if it was the Broadduses, but um, I don't know if we'll ever know, especially I'm sure the police probably still aren't investigating this. It would have to be a confession, I guess, that would solve the case. Yeah. There's another comment that I saved. It kind of goes along with a, a little bit what we were saying in a sense, but this one says, my vote would be that the Broadduses made up the story in order to reverse the sale and not because of cold feet. The town allegedly turned down their renovation request because the aesthetic wasn't in keeping with character of the neighborhood. They could have decided they didn't want the house anymore if it couldn't be renovated the way they wanted to. Selling the house, of course, would be an option, but they would have lost money doing that even if they sold it for what they paid for. They would have had to pay real estate commission of approximately $80,000 and incurred costs with the sale. But I feel like that also goes with like kind of our theory of like the Langfords and whoever else in the town didn't want them making these changes and went against them at the town hall meeting and could have been trying to push them out for that reason. Yeah, that's very unusual. (laughs) Very frustrating that we'll probably never know. No, unless the person comes forward. Yeah. I think that is it up to date with The Watcher. If you've watched the show, let us know what you think. I know like I, I made a um, question box about it on our Instagram and people are like, it's hardly even based on the true story, which I do agree. Like they start off with the letter and they read it, which is true, but then the rest kind of isn't what happened. It's basically just based off of like people who move into a house get creepy letters. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's <laughs> as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah. So that is that for that case. Um, I'd like to know what you guys think. So send us a message and let us know. Or maybe we'll post like a little poll box. A lot of people do seem to think the Broadduses were in on it, but I don't know. I just don't don't feel it. Yeah, nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah, it could be absolutely could be. I just don't think it probably is. Yeah, it's like why torture yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so everything will be on the blog, any links of the real estate listings, all that, that'll be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. You can follow us on Instagram. We are True Crime Society. Sometimes you might have to type in our whole name to find us because we get shadow banned and in trouble a lot for inciting violence, I guess. <laughs> um, oh. Whatever. I'd love to be like, yeah, I'm inciting violence. Like it sounds cool, but like we're not inciting oh, violence. No. We're literally sharing. Doing the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, True Crime Society, 
Um, my personal account is Steph Sum underscore. Olivia's is TCS Olivia. If you want to see what we're up to, leave us a review if you haven't done that already. Love a nice review. Makes us really happy. Um, you can do that on Apple and Spotify. You can leave a rating and check out our sponsors. We'll have the links in the show notes with any of the codes or anything. And I hope you all have a happy Halloween to those who celebrate. Have fun. Be safe. Check your kids' candy for drugs <laughs> <laughs> or knives or needles oh or whatever. The, the, the thing is that we all threads, laugh about. Yeah. <laughs> I love all those memes. They crack me up. Um, but yeah, have a happy and safe Halloween. Um, thank you guys for listening. Look out for each other. Peace out. See ya. Skeletons, you're so misunderstood. You only want to socialize. But I don't think-